We're going to take a few minutes and continue our Torah study. So let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. So we're having a great day today, and everyone who's going to hear this message by podcast, we are celebrating the bat mitzvah of Joanna Marquecho Romero, and she has done wonderfully well. The whole congregation is filled with joy and gladness, and she brought an outstanding word, and I want to build on what she said and focus on this idea of choosing life. And also, uh, for any podcast listeners who hear this in time, you can join us for the High Holidays. On uh, Sunday night, we'll have Air of Rosh Hashanah services, and then Monday morning, we'll continue with Rosh Hashanah services. And then the following week for Kol Nidre and Yom Kippur, and then after that, Sukkot, and then Simcha Torah. So we invite all the, the folks who listen by podcast to join us for those services. I loved hearing what Joanna had to say about the scriptures, and I want to build on, on her thoughts and tell you something, that Moses had something to say in this, in this Torah portion about us and about our lives, and he put it this way. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 2. When the time arrives that all these things have come upon you, both the blessing and the curse, which I have presented to you, and you are there among the nations to which Adonai your God has driven you. I want you to think about this. Moses is saying, when you are scattered and you are no longer living in the land of Israel, and when the Jewish people are in all the different nations where God has, has um, put us, I have something to say to you. So this is not written for the Jews of Israel, but for the Jews of the diaspora. So you know what that means? It's written for us. And he says, there you are living in the diaspora, living among the nations. And then, the verse continues, then at last you'll start thinking about what has happened to you, and you will return to Adonai your God and pay attention to what he has said. And this is also addressed to people like us. Do you remember when you started thinking about spiritual things? Do you remember when you started thinking about God? Do you remember when you started connecting Jewish history with the God of history? And do you remember when you personally made a decision to turn to the Lord? It's, a, it's not just a turning, it's a returning. Because we're all created in his image, and yet it seems very quickly after we're born, maybe even before we're fully born, we're turning away. We're ready to go our own way. And so each of us has to make a decision to return to the Lord, to come back to him. And do you remember when you started paying attention to the Lord and what he said? It's good to remember our own personal journeys and the steps in our history because this is written to us. Moses is speaking to us. Earlier in the chapter, he says, I'm not just talking to those of you who are here at Sinai, but to all those who are yet to come. So he was addressing, he was addressing all of us, and he had some of the greatest wisdom, 
to offer that we could ever get. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. He said this, choose life. Say that with me, choose life. It was wonderful to hear uh, Joanna speak about this, choose life, and, and to so eloquently and powerfully tell us about her choice of life. And also the, the battles and the struggles that she's faced in life uh, in order to make this choice. Choose life so that you can live. Choose life so that your children may live, your descendants may live, your grandchildren may live, so that your children may live, it says. Choose life for yourself and for the generations to come. The generations not yet born. The generations that the Lord knows, but we don't. I mean, you may know your children, but you may not fully know them the way the Lord does. You may see them the way you, you, you do, and you love them, and the Lord can have a bigger picture than you could possibly imagine. Sometimes, especially if, if you have challenging children, whether they are young, some of you have challenging two-year-olds, some of you have challenging 12-year-olds, some of you have challenging 22-year-olds, some of you have challenging 42-year-olds and 52-year-olds. Regardless of the age, children, whether young or adult, can be challenging. And there are times when, when we see them as uh, people with problems. How many can relate to that? None of you want to be honest today, but... Uh, let me ask it another way. How many had parents who raised problem children? <laughs> Challenging children. Difficult children. Yes. There are times when parents look at their children with their challenges and they see them as problems that need to be solved. And all of their prayers... And all of their emotions are about the problems. And there's a hope that their problems will go away. And that's one way of looking at, at children. And then there are some that take it a step further and they start thinking about the solutions for their children's problems. And so they're, they're praying, oh God, solve this in their life and help this child with this other problem. And it's good to, to face problems, it's good to find solutions, but the Lord actually has more in mind than that. He wants to unfold his vision for people after they've solved their problems as well. He has life for you after you get stronger, after you mature. He, he has more for you than just solving your problems. He wants to use you as you're solving your problems. He wants to use you for the good of others. And what Moses is saying is this, that there's a life that God wants to, to make available to you that has such power and, and such meaning that it will not only impact you, it will impact your children, their children, and their children and beyond. In the scriptures, the, the best examples of men and women of faith are those who see not only um, what they personally need, and they see God not only in terms of their immediate issues, but they see 
to the generations that will come. And they make choices, they make decisions to invest their life in following God in such a way that their children will be blessed, their grandchildren will be blessed, their great-grandchildren will be blessed. And that's why we often pray to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, because we're recognizing generation to generation. And I, I tell you this, that when you're choosing life and you're choosing to follow God, it's not just for you, it's for those who will follow after you. And when you get a vision for that, you'll not only pray, Lord, help this child with their problems and help them with their solutions, but you'll pray beyond that. You'll see what God sees about that person. And you'll pray with prophetic insight and understanding. Your eyes will open when you see someone the way God sees them, when you see your children the way God sees them. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live and that you may love the Lord your God. That is so powerful and so important. You'll never have more life than when you're in love with God. When you're loving God and expressing your love to God, your life will fill up. And then it says this, and these are dirty words. These are, well, there's one dirty word in here. It's X-rated, really, in American uh, vocabulary, obey him. (laughs) Obey him. Obey? Yeah, obey him. Do what he says. Do you remember Yeshua was speaking to people and he said, why do you say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Obey him. Do what he says. And then this powerful statement, hold fast to him. Hold on to him. Don't let go. Use your power to hold on to him. There are times when it'll feel like life is a whirlwind or a storm, and you're holding on for dear life. Use all your power that you can. There are times of of peacefulness as well. It's not a stormy time, but you can use your strength to hold on to God. There will be times when you don't have power, when life will have robbed you, of strength, and you'll feel weak. There will be times when, when you will feel like, I, I am too weak now, I'm, I'm disappointed, or you'll even feel lost at times, and you may not have the power to hold on, and that's when you'll discover God's holding on to you. He's holding on to you anyway, but as long as you do have power, hold on. So whenever you have strength and whenever you have power, hold on to the Lord, hold fast to him, stay close to him. He is the one to hold on to. Know this, God is what we hold on to. And it's important as we're preparing for the high holidays to say this because it's the theme of the holidays. Hold on to God. Our traditions are good and we will use them. But don't hold on to our traditions, hold on to God. Hold on to him, hold fast to him, and don't confuse the traditions that God gives us, even the commands God gives us, with God himself. Because the scriptures are are filled with warning about those who fulfilled religious duty and obligation and kept even the commands of God and even kept traditions, and yet God found their life repulsive because they weren't holding on to him. 
It is possible to be religious and be far away from God. That's one of the great warnings of Yom Kippur, that our people would fast, and while they're fasting, we would say, why do I even bother? Why? God doesn't answer me. Where is God in all this troubled life? And the scriptures warn us, don't fast like that. It will not draw you close to the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. Hold on to the Lord. Come to the Lord with a contrite heart. The Lord draws near to the lowly and the contrite. It's important to remember this. Hold fast to him. And the reason Moses gives is this. Because he is your life. Say that with me. He is your life. Hold fast to him. I want to read with you from the Gospel of Luke a few verses where Yeshua is teaching his disciples about finding joy in life with God and about seeing things with great vision and understanding, not just seeing problems and not just seeing solutions to problems, but seeing what's beyond the problems and their solutions. So Luke 9, verses 1 and 2, Yeshua called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over all demons and power to cure diseases. How many of you would like to have been there? Getting that power. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now this was the challenge. Okay, I'm giving you this power, I'm giving you this authority, now you go out, you tell people about the kingdom of God, people who don't know, and you pray for the sick and see them healed. (coughs) You do it. Me, me, me? Well, I didn't ask for the gift of healing. No, but you've been given it. What do you do with it? You pray for the sick. You heal the sick. Verse 6, jumping to that. And so they set out and they went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. That's what they did. They received an assignment and then they fulfilled it. Now let's go to the next chapter, Luke 10. It's uh, the second part of this story. Starting in verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others And he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to visit. I want you to consider this. Yeshua had plans. He had plans to go to different cities and to different towns, to different villages. And he wanted his disciples to be going to each of those places in advance. So we're going to do a little bit of math here. There were 72. How, How many teams were there? 36. All of you get an A-plus for basic arithmetic. 72 divided by 2 equals 36. Those of you who don't know this, I can recommend a good grammar school. 36. So we could say there's a bare minimum of 36 places that Yeshua plans to go himself. He has plans. He could have sent these teams to more than one place, but bare minimum, 36. Verse 2, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. So he said the problem is not that there's not enough to do. The problem is there are not enough people to do it. There may be people who believe, but they're not ready to work. The solution, therefore, is more people working to bring in the harvest. And the problem is not with society in general. The world outside is ready. The harvest is ready. It's the people who, who follow the Lord who aren't ready. There aren't enough who are ready. Then verse 8. If you enter a town and they welcome you, eat whatever is set before you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. That's your assignment. It's incredible, isn't it? The people are to go out and proclaim the good news. Now, this is challenging to some people's theology because they think that, that the, the gifts that are being used here, healing and the gifts of, of proclamation and power over demons, that these are only given after Yeshua dies and is resurrected, after he's become a sacrificial, atoning sacrifice for us. But in fact, he gives these before he dies, right? It's, it's very interesting. This is also challenging for anyone who wants to base their ministry on proclaiming the bad news <laughs> instead of the good news. And there are many who do. But I would say they're not laborers in the harvest. They're something else. They're spoilers of the harvest. Now, what is the bad news? The bad news is something like this. This world has gone to hell, and it's getting worse. The bad news is something like this. You won't believe what this politician did to that politician who did this to that politician. Oh, the end must be near. If you watch enough news, you will become well-equipped to bring the bad news. The good news of Yeshua is different. The good news of Yeshua is this. You already know your bad news. We're here to tell you something good. We know you're in prison. We know you're sick. We know you're brokenhearted. We know you're poor. We know you're hungry. We know you're being oppressed. We know you've lost loved ones. We know you're sick. We have good news for you. The kingdom of God has come near. It's not far away. This is in concert with what Moses said. Don't say it's out there, far away. Don't say we have to go up to heaven to get it. No. The kingdom of God has come near. That is the proclamation of Yeshua. Tell good news to everyone. Good news to everyone, but I want to be prophetic. Okay, then tell the good news to everyone. Am I in the wrong congregation? <laughs> I thought you were believers. This is what the Bible is saying. The commission was to tell the good news. But Rabbi, there's only bad news. Wrong. That means you're just seeing the problems. Do you get it? Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God ain't coming. 
No. The kingdom of God is near. Tell the sick people, this whole medical system is not working. It's never going to work. There's nothing we can do about it. Government. No. Yeshua heals. Okay, verse 17. We move on. If you're stuck in the bad news, I'm going to get you unstuck. Because the people who, who think that the ministry of faith is to proclaim the bad news are the ones who are not bringing in the harvest. They're the ones who have lost the prophetic insight and power of what God is doing and who misunderstand the messianic mandate to send the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do good for this broken world. Three amens. I can live with that. You know, I'm going to have to send you to some of the black churches where you can learn to <laughs> vocalize agreement and response. Am I right? <laughs> or, <laughs> or at the very least, to... Uh, to a synagogue where they go, Baruch Hashem. <laughs> you have to help when we're preaching to you. <laughs> not for my sake, for your sake. This is not a one-way thing. It's, it, when you take it and you get it, it's yours. Okay. Yeah, here we go. Okay, we got to wrap up here. Verse 17, the 72 return with joy. And they said, hallelujah, yeah. And they said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us. And Yeshua said, don't be happy about that. Now, that's the, that's the difficult part of this passage. They're saying, that ministry trip we took, it was life-changing. We cast out demons. People were healed. It was awesome. We saw miracles. But the demons submitted to us. And Yeshua said, well, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. See, I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. I mean, you may, you may have pain, but you won't have spiritual harm. The Lord will protect you from spiritual harm. Verse 20, nevertheless. <laughs> oh, I hope you know what that means in English. However, but... Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Boy, that's a hard word. But Lord, you just sent us out to do what you told us to do. We did it. Shouldn't we be happy? Yes, but. Yes, but. 
Don't rejoice that the Spirit submit to you. Don't get caught up in finding your joy in the fact that you have some of my authority, Yeshua said. Some of my power. I want you to have it, but don't let that be the source of your joy. And don't let your successful ministry be the source of your joy. Because then it's all about you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There you go. There you go. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And this is, this is a Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur word. Because you know what this means. To be written in heaven means to have your name in the book of life. So Yeshua is saying, rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. I've written your name in there. Because when you turned to me and you repented of your sins and you trusted my sacrifice for you and you stopped trying to redeem yourself and you let me redeem you, I wrote your names in the book of life. On these holidays, Jewish people all over the world will pray Zachreinu. Zachreinu, remember us. Remember us unto life. Zachreinu l'chaim. And we'll ask God, write our names in the book of life. Hasefer hachaim. Yeshua says, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. But the question is, what's this book of life? In the 21st chapter of Revelation, verse 27, identifies that this book of life is the Lamb's book of life, that it belongs to Messiah, that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Yeshua, has the book. He has the scroll, and he's watching over it, and he says, rejoice about that. Don't rejoice about the problems that you have the ability to solve. Rejoice about what you get after those problems are solved. You get life with me forever. Rejoice. Moses said choose life, and what he meant was choose God. Stay close to him because in him is life. Yeshua said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the life, he said. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Yeshua is life, in God is life. Yeshua is the life. And so the word for us is this. Hold on to God. Hold fast to him. Don't try to hold on to anything else because God is your life. Rejoice. He is your life. Rejoice and be glad in the way God uses you, but rejoice even more that he loves you forever. Yeshua is the life. So as we're celebrating these holidays, as we use our many Jewish traditions, Don't fall in love with the traditions in such a way that they displace your love for God. 
love God, and it will go well with you. Hold on, <clears throat> hold on to him, and it will go well for you. Well, we're going to close now with Aaron's blessing. I want to ask you to rise. <coughs> if you're standing by yourself, if you don't mind moving enough so that you're not. And then we're going to go directly over to um, the Shalom Center for a wonderful oneg. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Shabbat shalom, everyone. See you next door and see you tomorrow night.